God, you can come with revival. Let it start in me. Amen. That's our cry. That's our prayer. Lord, it doesn't have to be revival with a capital R. I'll just take revival with a little R, you know, revival in me. But that's how a breakthrough begins is when the Lord sets on fire a few hearts and then God uses them to set on fire many others. Bless you. You're situated in the family that you're in. You're working at the place where you work. You've got the circle of friends that you have because the Lord has you in the place he wants you to be so that his fire, his life can flow through you. Amen. Amen. Welcome into this gathering of the Lord's people, Jesus' people, Jesus' people. I, I, I met the work of the Lord in a fresh way back when I was in uh, college. I was back before the earth's crust hardened, back before a bunch of you were even born. And there was a movement called the Jesus Movement, and there were folks involved in that called Jesus' people. And that was back in the day when Amazing Grace was regularly in the top 10 or the top 40. God can do it again in this land. He can bring revival. He can bring awakening. And um, we're trusting him for that. I want to talk to you this morning, however, on this subject. Finding God in your tough places, hard places. Finding God in your hard places. I believe the Lord wants us to know that He's good in a storm. He's good in a fight. The tough places that can come upon us just because we're living in this world, we're living this life can be in some settings and seasons of our lives, that which marks our life, the hard place. So do we have to wait until we get to calm water before we can ever expect to really experience the living Jesus? I want to say to you, he's good in a storm. He's good for a fight. He's able to take monotony and blow it up with all kinds of colors and all kinds of winds to bring joy to the hearts of his people. Jesus said, the thief is the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life <laughs> and that you might have it super abundant. But what about the hard places, Lord? What about the seasons when it's just really hard to connect the dots that make any kind of sense? What about the times, Lord, when it seems like it's more about lack than plenty? More about poverty than prosperity? And that not necessarily in a financial sense but poverty in a relationship, in the sense of personal fulfillment. Now, now we're, going, we're going to a good place, but I'm needing to paint that a little bit so that you'll understand that where we're going this morning is not about how to make happy people happier or just about how to make giddy people giddier. It's about you and your hard place and how to find God in that. I want to give you three principles that I believe are true about how to find God in your hard places. Now, this, this is addressed this morning not to the general population. But this is addressed to those of you who have taken the content of John chapter 1, verse 12 personally. 
but to as many as received Jesus, but to as many as will take as their own Jesus. To these, he gives the right to be called the children of God, to those who are believing upon his name. That, that is, is a necessary connection that just because you have received Jesus as Savior and Lord does not mean that trouble is going to stay a million miles away and difficult places are going to not come at you. Coming to know Jesus is not about a magic formula on how to, in every situation, in every instance, say boo to the devil and he runs off and leaves you alone. The Lord has said, resist the devil and flee from you. And there are times when that is exactly true and expressly true, and, and we've known that to be the case in many settings. But there will be other times when it doesn't seem as if our resisting of the devil or our standing against difficulty means that it's automatically going to run out the back door of our lives. Sometimes it seems as if trouble and oppression can stay. What about those times? Does that mean that God is absent, that, that, that heaven is vacant? Because of the hard places. Does it mean that he doesn't love me anymore? Does it mean that I'm not praying right? What does it mean? Finding God in your hard places. Principle number one. And understand this isn't an exhaustive list and won't even be able to work each one of these three to their completion and fullness. But here's number one. To find God in your hard place, you need to know whose child you are. In Hosea, the prophet writes for the Lord, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. My people are being destroyed because of their lack of understanding. And the context is because of their lack of understanding of me and my heart, the Lord speaking that. It is possible that in the situations that we go through, even though we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the trouble can come so fast and from so many different directions that just really push our buttons, that we can find our faith, our ability to keep walking and trusting in Him destroyed. Maybe not completely, but to a degree that we are weakened, that it's like we're paralyzed, that like we can't get up, and it is because of lack of knowledge. Jesus would say, the truth will set you free. My words are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing, but my words are spirit and they are life. That if you listen to my words, truth is spoken and the truth can set you free. Truth can keep us from being destroyed. My people perish. For lack of understanding. First principle in finding God in your hard place is this again. Know whose child you are. Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to find that if you would. Ephesians chapter 1. One of the greatest books written to believers to encourage believers and to give a description of, a statement of who you are to God. Who you are. Whether you feel it or not, whether other people say this about you or not, it is the truth of who you are because it is who God says you are. 
Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then look at verse 4. Just as he chose us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then he says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Sons in this context isn't just the male, isn't just the masculine gender. It is those who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, sons and daughters, a relationship with the Father because of Jesus. But here's what he says. Your Father chose you. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, picked you out. Why? Because He saw you as trash? Because He saw you as worthless or useless or without potential? He chose you because He saw value in you. In order for me, for you, to find God in our hard places, that piece of knowledge that can keep us from perishing in that place, a piece of that knowledge is to know in your knower, my Father chose me because He wanted me, because there was something desirable. When did it happen? When you quit doing the trashy stuff? When you quit talking the trashy ways, when you turned your life. No, he chose you before you ever kicked in your mother's womb. He chose you before there was ever dirt in San Antonio. You are no stranger to him. He has known you. He, now, other people may have rejected you. And the hard place may be because folks have walked out of your life. That's why you need to know, and it be wrapped around your soul, my Father chose me because he wanted me, and he hasn't changed his mind. That's one part, that you're chosen. But then it says we're predestined to the adoption of sons. Adoption, adoption. Let, let, let me give you a definition of that biblical word. It has a couple of parts. It means that we have been put into the relationship of a child with the dignity of that relationship. Let me say that again. To be adopted in this sense that your Bible is speaking of, it means that you, me, as someone who does not have a position in a family, does not have the last name of the family, is chosen and is brought into and placed into a position within the family with all of the dignity that is now involved in the placement of that position. And it carries with it the promise that the child who has been placed in the family, not of natural birth, but of choice of the father, is now in the process of being brought into the likeness of the father. It would be the miracle of someone who is adopted into a family because the head of the family wanted that one, wanted to rescue, wanted to provide, delighted in that one, and wanted them not just to be someone who would be remotely connected with the family, but someone who's brought in and is given every right of every legally born 
blood-born member of the family. And then that that child is said to, as time goes on, change in appearance so that the family likeness of the father is present in the countenance of that child who was not by nature, who was not by birth born into the family. Folks, listen, nobody, nobody has always been a Christian. If, if, if that were true, then the cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest waste, where the innocent man died for the sins of the world. What if there's somebody who doesn't have any sins? There is no one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, as far as God is concerned, on all categories with all history of life present and, under, and looked at. There's none righteous, no, not one. That means that everybody needs to be saved. Everybody needs to be rescued. Everybody needs to be forgiven. Everybody needs to be brought into the family of God if they are indeed ever a part of the family of God. You say, well, well I'm a creation of God. That means I'm a family member. I'm not any more than a finished carpenter can take a piece of lumber and fashion it into something that he creates and then bring that piece of lumber home and say to his sons and daughters, meet your new brother or sister. You can be a creation of God and not be a member of the family of God, but there are no exclusions because the Lord said, whoever will may come. Whoever will come to Jesus will receive his forgiveness and be brought into the family of God. So knowing that you've been chosen, knowing that you've been adopted by God's heart for you, loving you, giving you all of the legal rights of an authentic family member and then being put in the process of being brought into the likeness of your heavenly father who is your real father. Knowing that has a, a way of helping us finding God. Because here's what happened. The, the devil, Satan, the enemy, using circumstances will try to say, because this is happening to you, God must be mad at you. Because this is happening to, to you, he must not love you. He must not be relevant. And folks, if we buy into that, we begin to perish within our hearts. And the Lord would say, not perish in the sense that we lose our salvation, that we're lost to heaven forever, but meaning that to the joy of the Lord, which is to be our strength, can begin to diminish from within us. And the Lord would say, I believe to us today, you hold on to this. You know whose child you are. And you are that child because I chose you. You are that child because of the process of adoption. You are legally a part of the family of God and you were being shaped in the image of the Father. But then he would also say that you have access, access to heaven. It'd be one thing to have something chosen. And it's a person who's chosen. And the chosen, chosen person is a, is a member of the family and beginning to bear the likeness of... But, but what difference would it make in a sense, for a person to have those benefits but have no access to the Father. You're just, just kept in a room, kept in a corral somewhere, kept out there. But Hebrews will say to us, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore now 
draw near to the throne of grace where we will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. The heavens opened. The heart of the Father opened to His child. Where I can run to the throne of grace, not the throne of law, not the throne of performance, but the throne of grace. That's His heart. He's the embodiment of grace where we as His children will find mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. When that sinks in, and that truth, folks, listen, I'm saying to you, it's truth you got to know for it to make any difference to you. If you don't know it, it's as if it has no ability to impact you. But when you read this verse, and you've received Jesus as Savior and Lord, and, and, and then you hear this, you read this again, that He chose me. He's adopted me. He's given me free access to his heart to cry out to him, to speak to him, to ask from him. It'll help you. But it's also, and this is stunning to me, it's not only that we're chosen, that we're adopted, that we've been given access to his presence, and to his heart. But he has also desired that we would know the confidence, an inner confidence, the inner confidence of a child in a parent whom the child knows loves them and that they matter to. In both Romans chapter 8 And in Ephesians, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 4, similar words of these are found. This is, I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received, Paul writes, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4. Because you are sons, verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He has sent forth the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of rejection and depletion, within your heart, there can still be, and the Lord desires for us to grow familiar with and accustomed to and to expect The sound of the Spirit of Jesus crying out within us, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. The the clearest expression of what in the world that means, Abba, Father, to us years ago, and I've shared this often at Alamo City, years ago in downtown Jerusalem, Passover week, Families gathering in a hotel, ballroom, and dining area to celebrate Passover with the families. We were there. And I just began to notice this little girl looked like she might have been, I don't know, three or four years old, just a little princess, beautiful, curled hair, little shoes, little dress, all all fixed up. But it was as if there was this lost look on her little face. There was somebody that she was looking for that she hadn't seen yet and couldn't find. And there were men walking by, people walking by, and she just would check them out, and, but she kept looking, she kept looking until he showed up. And the words out of her mouth repeated in the direction of this man, Abba, Abba, 
It was her daddy. It was her daddy. And the daddy heard the little voice, saw the little figure, just got over to her as queasy and swept her off her little feet and held her close. Abba, Abba, Abba. Do you hear that? When is that going to matter the most to us? When everybody is saying, attaboy, 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 you're the greatest, you're the best, you're the most. Or when nobody is saying it. But you begin to cry out from your God-given, God-energized, artesian well of the life of His Spirit within you, Abba, 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 and He will by His Spirit make His presence somehow, some way known to you. But folks, if we don't ever cry out, if we think because we're in hot water, God's turned His back, and, and this, this lack of this knowledge of knowing whose child you are perishes from us, and the result can be we perish for lack of knowledge. Don't, don't let that happen in your, in your hard place today. I'm not giving you a formula as how to fix it, how to change it, how to correct all the circumstances. But what I am saying to you is something that will strike at the heart of the discouragement and the rejection and the sense of abandonment and the sense that nobody cares about me. And this is unending and it'll never pass. If you know in your spirit, whose child you are. That he chose you because he wanted you. And he hasn't changed his mind. That he adopted you because he wanted a permanent relationship with you. In the family, the ones closest to him. And that he's given to you the right to continuously, if need be, Access the throne of grace where you will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And then, and then that you will grow to expect going off in your heart when the billows begin to roll again to try to discourage and try to defeat and, and, and try to impress you with some supposed truth that is the opposite of God's heart for you. And then there begins, you begin to sense this cry rising up from within your heart. Oh, Abba, Abba, Abba. You learn in that place of need to speak his name. And what happens is in the context of that so often you are aware he never left. He's ever present. And he's wanting there to be the connection from your heart with his heart of truth. Chosen, adopted, with access, with the cry of a confident child in your heart. Know whose child you are. Second, Find God in your hard place. You need to know why the Father is allowing this. You need to know why the Father is allowing this. This isn't intended to be an exhaustive answer to that question, but there are some amazing principles just as clear as inked letters on a page in the Bible for us to read so that we can Gain insight, gain knowledge as to why, Lord, would you allow a wilderness season in my life? As it was with the children of Israel in the wilderness, the ones who survived the wilderness came out from the wilderness. The wilderness was not punishment. The wilderness was preparation. Let me say that again. Somebody missed it. The wilderness is not punishment. The wilderness is not punishment. The wilderness is not punishment. The wilderness is is preparation. The wilderness is preparation. The wilderness is preparation. There's an analogy, and find your way to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
there's an analogy in some of the verses we're going to read here in just a moment of a father training a son or training a child. He was saying that what the Lord was doing with you in the wilderness was similar to what a father would do to discipline or to train a son or a daughter. There's something in, in the workout world called resistance training. Do I have a witness? Resistance training. That if you had never pushed that bar up, you're not going to gain any strength in pushing that bar up regularly and more of it. In this part of the human wilderness, there can be things that the Lord allows because he knows we're going to need some resistance in order to learn how to press more, press further, press to complete defeat those things that have been pressing against us. The wilderness is not punishment, but it's preparation. Let, let, let me read some of these verses with you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is one of the most classic chapters in all of the Scripture that helps to explain God's heart for His children. If you've been adopted into the family because you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then just know that, that this is one of the ways in which the Lord will engage Himself, involve Himself with the circumstances of your life. When He wants you to be more than you are now, when He wants to take you further than you've ever been, then it is consistent with his heart, not just to put you there without any preparation, but to prepare you in advance of that place of influence and perhaps prosperity and more that he has in mind. Moses is speaking these words to the second generation of Israel. The first generation came out went through the Red Sea. Uh, the Lord wanted to take them expeditiously and to possess the land of promise. But you remember that story. Kadesh Barnea, the spies went out, came back. Ten of the spies said, the giants are too big. The city's walls are too thick. We, we can't do it. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of the 12 that said, well, well look, look where he just brought us. Well, we didn't have to swim the Red Sea. He dried it up, and we walked out, and then it came back on favor. The same God who got us out of Egypt is the same God who will take us into Canaan. Let's trust him. But the majority was wrong. They outvoted the minority that was right, and as a result, an entire generation, the first generation of one's former slaves brought out into freedom decided that they'd rather go back to Egypt and into the form that what they had understood and, and, and was familiar in Egypt rather than risk the unknown of having to trust God for the possession of Canaan for 40 years. Long enough for every one of those who contributed to that decision died, had to pass in order for this wilderness generation to be the ones with the voice and the ones with the vote. They had had enough of the wilderness. If there was a way out of, way out of the wilderness and into the land of promise, regardless of what the risks were, they were willing to take it. And it was to those that Moses speaks these words. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and multiply. Mark that well. So that, Here's the reason. So that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, training you, preparing you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, which must have sounded mighty fine to this group that had only known desert, arid, barren terrain. Skip down to verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents. That'd be their version of copperheads, cotton mouths, rattlesnakes, rattle-headed copper moccasins. all, All of them combined. Where there was no water. But he brought you, he brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. He is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. So why, Lord, the wilderness? From these verses, it's easy to see that God had a purpose. God had a plan. He didn't cause the trouble in the wilderness But he allowed it to hit. He allowed it to come upon his people because he had something that he wanted to use the trouble and the wilderness to accomplish in their lives. And here here they are very quickly. It it was first to teach his people to depend on him. The the word there is that he might humble you. That that I, I have you in the world to humble you. That means for it to be established in your heart that you can't do it all by yourself. That you can't do it alone. He he put you in a place of of impossibility in in providing for your family and providing for your flock. He put you there so that he could teach you how to depend upon him. That if all you have is your God, you have more than you'll ever need. Teach us to teach us how to depend on Him. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians said, first chapter, you've heard what we went through in Asia. It was some sort of sickness, some sort of difficulty that was so severe that it says we despaired even of life. Speaking of himself, I despaired even of life. But what happened was in that place, we determined that we would not trust in man, but we would trust in the God who raises the dead. That's where the focus in his medical issue, wilderness, went and established itself. (laughs) I'm trusting in the God who, if I die, will be able to raise me from the dead. Folks, there's something about the wilderness. There's something about being in a place where you can't fix the supply chain. You can't solve the enemy situation. You're not even sure where the next drink of water or bite of food may come from. But in that place, the Lord God of glory will show you that he is worthy of your trust. Have I got a witness? There are bound to be some folks saying, Pastor, that's absolutely the truth. 
It's been the wilderness seasons of my life that taught me not only that I ought to depend upon the Lord, but that I can depend upon the Lord and that He is worthy of my total trust. You're not going to know that in the land of promise. It's good theory, but it's not practical reality that can cause you to know in your heart, in the hard places, that he is here. He is here. I found him because he has proven that he's faithful to be trusted in. You don't need a 40-year-old testimony of what God did way back yonder, or what he did in somebody else's life. You get to living in the wilderness for a while, and you're going to have a closet full of personal testimonies of how the Lord has done what only the Lord can do. Now, folks, the reason that's so important is that the Lord's plan was not for them to live and die in the wilderness, but for them to pass through the wilderness to be trained and prepared in these areas so that they could be his agents, his army to implement his authority and his will for the land of Canaan. They were fixing to leave the place of poverty and move into the, into the place of unbounded prosperity. But the Lord knew he couldn't send them to prosperity without their understanding the necessity of depending upon him. Otherwise, you see this at that last verse we read, otherwise... The Lord would say, you're going to say that on your own, you came up with the ability to make this wealth. On your own, it was your smart. It was your goodness. It was your personality that did it. When the Lord was saying, I needed to show you how little you had without me. And how important it was for you to depend upon me and not yourself. Because I'm taking, to, taking you to a place of plenty. But the only reason it's going to be a place of plenty is because I'm blessing it with my favor. Can we hang on to that? Finding God in our hard places. It's the place where he teaches us to depend upon him. It's the place where he teaches us the level of our obedience to Him. It, it, it establishes our desire, our determination to live a life that pleases Him. To humble you and to see what was in your heart. Well, the Lord already knew what was in the heart. It, it wasn't as much about them knowing, or the Lord knowing it was in their hearts, because he already knew. It was as much, it was more about them understanding. When I'm in, the, I'm in a hard place, and it would be easy for me to believe the lie that God doesn't care, God's thrown us out, that this, it doesn't matter what I do, that even in that place that seems to be so remote, so absent of any kind of physical blessing necessarily in prosperity, that even in that place, your heart still wants to do what is pleasing in His sight. Instead of the most important thing being what are people around you, the old friends, the old connections think, it's, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? It's easy to sin in the wilderness. To come up with an excuse, well, I'll just blow off God. Go. The Lord's watching. The Lord sees that. He says, I have you in this wilderness for this season to get you to depend on me. But then also for it to be established in your heart, whether or not you will still pursue me to obey me, to do what's pleasing in my sight. I just feel like some of you could say, you know, there have been times in my life when it just didn't seem like it mattered what I did. Whether I was continuing to walk with the Lord and it was pleasing and inside, I, just, I don't know that it really mattered. I, I don't really, it mattered. It mattered. When you made a choice to say no when everybody else was saying yes, 
and you knew that your no pleased the Lord. He saw it. He heard it. He knew it. And a part of the reason that we're in these places like this is that it's not for God to squeeze us so He can see what comes out. It's so that when we get squeezed, we know what comes out. Job would say, though He slay me, yet will I praise Him. Folks, your wilderness experience is not for the purpose of personal destruction and disappointment. But it is for the purpose of establishing in your heart that you will trust God no matter. And you will obey Him to the best of your ability, even if everybody you know is going the other way. The wilderness to humble you and to know what's in your heart, whether you will keep my commandments or not. Because of where they were going. Because he was going to invest in them his authority to rout other nations and cleanse other cities and to give them a land that was pagan to the core. He needed a people he could trust. He needed a people that he could give a command to and they wouldn't have a subcommittee meeting or trying to figure out how to do it better. They would just go for it. I'm talking to some folks that are moving into, stepping into that place of champion in the eyes of God. Not because millions of people acknowledge you as such, but because heaven looks down and has seen your choices. In the dark place, in the quiet place, in the place of helplessness and human despair, down in your heart there is that place, Lord. I'm depending on you. I'm trusting you. And Lord, with my last breath, I want to do what's right in your sight. So, why are your fathers allowing it? It's training you as a father trains his son. And he's preparing you for much preparing you for much. Number three, do this quickly. Finding God in your hard places, first you need to know whose child you are. Second, you, secondly, it helps to know why your father is allowing this. But then number three, you need to know where to look. Finding God in your hard places you need to know where to look. I want you to notice what Moses reported to them. He says in 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, humbled you, let you be hungry, fed you with manna. Fed you with manna. Which you didn't know, nor is your father. In fact, the name manna means what is it. That's the literal translation of what is it. Manna, what is that? That was the word, manna. Your clothing, verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. So, where are you, God? Where are you in this? Moses went back through, reminding the people of how every day of their lives in the wilderness, God had fed them. Manna would be like dew. It would, it would congeal, collect on plants and leaves and, and rocks. And, and the women would go out and gather enough just for that day. When they would come to the weekend, they would gather enough to get them for two days, get them through the Sabbath. He fed them. They would have starved to death if the Lord hadn't fed them. Said your clothes, ladies, this have, you have a hard time with this. Your clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. You had one change of clothes, maybe, maybe one or two, don't know. But they didn't wear out. Your foot didn't swell. 
all of these things, their food, their clothes, the water they drank, the health, meaning no swelling, they could still walk, protection, verse 15, the snakes and the scorpions and the hostile territories they were going through. They could have said, Lord, where are you? Where have you been, Lord? And the Lord could say, what did you eat this morning? What did you put in your mouth this morning? And where did that come from? I'm talking to some folks who have been through some times where literally if God didn't feed you, you and your babies wouldn't have eaten. And that was establishing, intended to establish in your heart, I haven't left you. I'm here. I'm right in the middle of that which you need most. You'll find my presence in my provision. You'll find the sense of my instead in, Instead of us overlooking it, oh, that was just luck. Oh, that just had to happen. No, it didn't. And those who have their hearts and ears turned to the things of the Lord will understand that, that, that it was the Lord feeding. It was the Lord protecting. It was the Lord giving drink. Yes, it was Him. Yes, it was Him. It wasn't luck. It was the hand of God. Some of the stories that you can tell. If God hadn't provided the funds to pay, bring in, pay for the light bill, or bring in the funds to keep the mortgage, what, those kinds of things, you'd have been out on the street a long time ago that we didn't know how. I have so many stories, so many Alamo, Alamo City stories of how the Lord has provided. Instead of saying, God, where are you? We're able to say, Lord, thank you for showing up in what I've put in my mouth and what I've written out as a check, in, in the protection, the deliverance. Yes. Know where to look. Know where to look. Know where to look. Know where to look at his provision. Secondly, look at people. People the Lord has brought into your life to encourage you to speak the Lord's heart into your heart at a time when all of the noise out there was exactly opposite of what the Lord's heart was. And the Lord picked out somebody or somebody's to be His voice into your place, your hard place. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 2. Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I want you to remember this man. I want you to remember Onesiphorus. Paul writing from prison, last letter he had ever write before he's executed. Onesiphorus would find me in Rome. He would search for me until he found me and he often refreshed me. The Lord would put something in Onesiphorus' heart to say to Paul. Onesiphorus became in a sense the mouth of God to speak hope into Paul's life said he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. He wasn't ashamed of my wilderness and he came to me. Shirley and I recently have spent some time just going over some of the names of people over the years. Many of them already in heaven but at times in our lives when we're going through some hard places came into our lives and they spoke refreshment into our heart. I'm saying, don't minimize his provision. Don't say, God, where are you? When you can note times of miraculous prevention. Though it seems so small, it still came from him. It didn't have to happen. It wasn't chance. He did it. And then don't minimize the people that he sent in your life. 
fact, it'd be a good idea if they're still walking this earth and alive somewhere for you to leave here, get on the phone and say it all over again. God spoke to me in my wilderness through your words of encouragement. And I've got to say thank you again. There are other ways, Paul would say at the end of 2 Timothy, but the Lord stood with me. He was in prison by himself. Everyone had left, but the Lord stood with me. I'll say to you, it can be through provision, it can be through people, but there can be some extraordinary circumstances went to the Lord. So the Lord just, you just sense He has shown up where you are and has spoken words of encouragement with the sense of His presence. Maybe not even a word, but just, you just knew that He was there. You say, Pastor, do you believe that? Absolutely, I believe that. Absolutely. You want to ask me again? Absolutely, I believe that. That what is written in the Bible is written for us to understand what God did then, God can do all over again. He can do where you are in the heart. Paul was in a hard place, facing death ultimately. But he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and enabled me to finish what he had put me in this place to do. And he delivered me. The Lord did that. Father, I thank you for this time in your word this morning. I thank you for the truths of your word and the heart of your people to desire that we would be able to find you in our hard places. Lord, I ask you to bring these truths back to mind, that you would by your spirit establish in our hearts that fresh realization that we are, we are your children. We are your children, picked out, adopted, brought into the family. And that, Lord, you do have a purpose. We're not randomly being bounced around in these hard places, but there are things that you're going for, and it is that we would depend upon you more completely, that we would, we would be determined that we would obey you as, as best we understand what that means in the places where we are. And then, Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability to look for you, to look for you, in the right places and not minimize what you have done and are doing but to know that it's come from you I pray you will encourage your people Lord Jesus to keep trusting to keep obeying to keep looking to you Lord for the final solution and the place of freedom that you're bringing us into on the other side of this wilderness in Jesus name Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Would, would you join me? I kept you a little bit longer today, but I, you, you, again, you all listen so well, it's not all my fault, you know. I, I just, I, I love being able to see your faces and, and know that sometimes when you don't say very much, I, I think it's getting in a little deeper than if you're talking back to me all the time. Sometimes when you're in a hard place, there's not a lot of hallelujah in there's not a lot of foot stomping and shouting that can go on. You're just wanting to make it the next step. But in the making of that next step, for you to know, you ha He has not left you. He loves you. He's chosen you. And He's going to finish what He started in your life. And the, on the other side of the wilderness, there's this land of Canaan. He's taking you through. He's taking you through. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I want to do what you are putting in my heart that is right in your sight. I want to do it. And don't quit. Amen. Prayer partners, join me, please, at the front, if you will. And, um, and so we can pray with you, any of you, if you, if you have a sense of something working hard, I'd like for us to pray with you about. And, and especially if there is that part within you we talked about earlier, to receiving Jesus. If you've never really done that, then this is the best time to do it right now. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, I open my heart up to receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. And my Lord, you can do it right where you sit, right where you stand. We can pray with you to that end. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, let us hear from you if we can pray with you. And especially if you have taken it as your own, just strong desire, Lord, I want you in my life. If you pray to receive Jesus today, wherever you are, would you email us and let us know that so we can pray with you. Maybe get back in touch with you with some help. Okay? It's a good-looking group this morning. God bless you. Mother's Day is when, men? When, when's Mother's Day?
next Sunday. Better get that right. That, that's like the anniversary date. Know that one and her birthday. And But we'll look forward to next Sunday, next Lord's Day, um, rejoicing and thanking the Lord for um, our, our mothers. You couldn't be here without a mother, right? We all have one. And there are some wonderful things that we're able to say and know from the Word of God about our moms. Bless you. And we will we'll see you next time. Let us pray with you if you're here and, and you need someone to stand with you in the place of prayer. God bless you.